Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of the Argus podcast. My name is Christian Fuller, and I'll be guiding you through these weekly chats with the interesting people that make up the county of Sussex. Today, we are joined by the star of the Great British Bake Off, Jürgen Krauss. From German-born IT technician to TV superstar, Jürgen's rise to fame has been swift since appearing on the Channel 4 show. Make sure to stick around until the end of this episode when I'll be announcing who will be on next week's show. So, without further ado, here's the very first episode of the Argus podcast with the one and only Jürgen Kraus. Thanks for joining us, Jürgen. It's an absolute pleasure to have you, have you on the podcast and for you to be our first ever guest. Thank you. It's an honour. Now, you've become quite a sort of sensation from, from Bake Off. How's your life been since sort of being on the show? It's been very busy. So since transmission, it's really uh, been very busy. I didn't anticipate the, the huge response from that. A lot of work is coming along my way, which feels great. We'll get on to kind of what you're, what you're doing next uh, a bit later on. But I'm just wondering, do you get kind of recognised out and about in Brighton? Yes, um, I think in Brighton, people generally are pretty good. They are used to celebrities, so a lot of people respect the private sphere. And I can see that on faces, on reactions, but I get stopped on and off. I imagine if you go into a, a bakery or, or something, people's, people's faces, people's mouths will drop. Yep, they do. They do. The first lady who recognised me uh, right after the first episode aired nearly ran into a tree. <laughs> Just outside the hospital would have been the right place to do that. <laughs> oh, God. If you don't mind sort of going back to the kind of start and your early days in Freiburg, I believe, is that right? And then yeah. kind of your time in the Black Forest, which obviously you mentioned quite a few times throughout the show. Did you grow yeah. up baking? Sort of how did you, if you don't mind taking me, sort of how you got into, got into baking? Yes, well, uh, we had a fairly small kitchen and the kitchen was the centre of our household. So my brother and me, my brother is three years younger. Um, we were always involved in anything baking anything my mother did. So making linser torte also was always great tasting that dough with a little bit of kirsch in it, Christmas cookies. So I don't know when we started, probably just when we managed to stand on our feet. I was going to say, did you kind of join in from an early age? It wasn't just kind of your mother's cooking. It was, was it a family activity? Yeah, with, with my brother and my mother, family activity, you could see that. And when, when did you move to Brighton? It was... Um, about 19 years ago. Oh, wow, okay. 22, May 22. And kind of what are the major differences between sort of German baking and food in general and then what you've experienced in Brighton? Uh, Brighton is very continental in its approach to food, I would say. Um, if there's a place to get good food in England, well, it's probably Borough Market in Brighton. <laughs> uh, there's such a huge variety available uh, just the sheer amount of students from different countries who live here and bring their own culture, plus um, a number of really good shops um, with a with the local identities, keep the local identities. It's a fantastic place to be, which doesn't feel so much different from Freiburg or Frankfurt in surprising ways. Uh, having been on school exchange in England, that was a very different matter. I had my encounter with English school meals. You don't have a similar thing in Germany at all. Um, <laughs> Where were you based when you were doing that? Um, the school was in Loughborough. Okay. And was the food? What sort of food would you would you have when you were there? I think it was so unexpected that um, I couldn't really make up my mind about it. 
Um, the thing I remember was um, a cube of green jelly, very firm green jelly, on uh, some kind that resembled very soggy uh, puff pastry. <laughs> Even kind of with a love of bread and baking uh, that you've kind of developed since since that time, how does a kind of computer engineered database administrator end up on a show like the Great British Bake Off? Well, I had lots of colleagues uh, telling me I should be there, and family as well. And it's, I, I, I've heard you say before, but you've you baked for people in in your office and your colleagues, and and I'm guessing they very much enjoyed the enjoyed the food. Yeah, before COVID, we had we had frequent charity bakes. Uh, our company is a recruiter, charity specialist, so it's kind of natural to do fundraisers. And um, we have a lot of foodies in the company as well. One of my colleagues, who was uh, probably the most vocal about me, he was a chef at the Horse and Guards Club in London. Very good chef and baker himself. Just sort of going on to your time on Bake Off and everything, you, you got off to a flying start, sort of winning Star Baker a few times sort of early on. How was that, the kind of early stages of it sort of doing so well? Yeah, well, I didn't expect that. Um, I had no idea about the level the other contestants would be. I expected maybe going out second or third week. Well, it was very different. <laughs> I think my my flavors as well as um, my personality and my bakes um, were a real hit with the judges early on. And the public as well. I mean, you've got a, a very big social media following that you've kind of developed through not just the Bake Off and, and the music as well, which we'll get onto a little bit later, but were there any moments kind of off camera, which we didn't get to see that were kind of especially special for you during the show? There were so many of them. I mean, the whole Bake Off experience was such deep, overwhelming, out of this world experience. We bakers lived together in a bubble in this hotel. Uh, we had a schedule of two days practice, two days filming as long as we stayed in the contest. So we became a very close group. There weren't any tensions. We helped each other out. I got um, tutoring about buttercream flowers from Freya. <laughs> and others got tutoring about bread making from me. So it was giving and taking in the nicest way, hanging out together, uh, going through the whole experience, talking it through really unique from sort of watching a show and what i've read about you and, and everything you're quite proud of the kind of jewish culture that you've had and i was just wondering whether you had any kind of discussions with matt lucas about jewish baking jewish bread um not too much but uh, i could feel his view of me changed when i did that jewish bake that passover perflova there was kind of a spark of recognition in there it wasn't easy for uh, Noel and Mark to find a common ground with me because I'm so not into celebrities or sport. You can't talk to me about football. <laughs> it just doesn't work. <laughs> and um, so that suddenly created kind of a medium between us. We really had a nice relationship from then on. Mm. But there wasn't much for discussions about culture. Yes, yeah. Uh, just in terms of the kind of the judges and, and Noel, do, do you, were you able to hang out outside of the competition? Because I know obviously for you it's slightly different being in the bubble than to other years where they may have been able to discuss things afterwards. What, what was the situation of that? Ah, yeah, well, we all were in a bubble together, essentially. But um, there was a bit of a divide between 
stuff and bakers. So there wasn't too much, too much uh, there weren't too many touching points. Uh, one touching point was football, of course. <laughs> uh, when we were filming, uh, the European Championships were on. That created some kind of mix-up. For the public, we, we got to watch you sort of every week progressing, but because it's all filmed in one go, I suppose you may not have been able to kind of gauge the interest that you were having at the time, obviously, because people hadn't seen it yet. So when it had finished, was it a bit of a shock to you or was it you started seeing more and more people recognise you and want to talk to you as the show went on on television? Well, the filming was done in early summer. Most of it was done in June. I was on stage previously with my trombone. Uh, I enjoyed that. And there you have an immediate feedback uh, on the show when it's being filmed, um, especially with the bubble. It's more like being in a family and doing all that stuff together. You get used to being mic'd up and all of that. There's nothing special to having cameras around suddenly. <laughs> so um, it becomes a new kind of life. And for me, um, the audience wasn't there in a way. The audience would be, uh, if I was on a stage in a demonstration or um, in a concert. And then the time after that was really weird because we had to keep everything secret. That's, that's the, the flair of the show. It would destroy the show if, if people started talking. Was that, tri was that tricky to keep it a secret? Yeah, yeah. Uh, especially for fam family, I think. How many people knew? Maybe 10. Okay. That seems like a reasonable number, I mean. <laughs> you have to trust those people are not. So yeah, and then when the show started airing, um, I was reliving all these moments in the tent, of course. Um, and then seeing the reaction and social media building up, people uh, recognizing me in the street. Um, I found it just wonderful. I mean, the reaction was so overwhelmingly positive. Um, really wonderful. Um, so, of course, going out in the semi-final is still an incredible achievement, but so many people thought you were sort of certain to at least make the final, if, if not win it. Was, there, was it a bit of a shock for you and everyone in the tent at the time? It was certainly a shock for everyone in the tent. It doesn't seem to be such a shock for me. Um, I kind of could see it coming. Um, it felt like um, maybe I was just uh, to a slightly different level, which I expected winning the first two weeks of Star Baker. Um, you can't deny that. Going in on a high level, it's then hard to raise the bar from there. Um, and I also took risks in the semi-final. Um, I used flavors that are a bit out there and I used the color scheme in my uh, final pick and uh, Machati, I knew the judges weren't necessarily fond of the flavor. So I took risks and therefore it didn't resonate with the judges. I was very happy with what I produced. And I was going to say, is there any, is there any regrets there or is that, that's you, that's, that's what you no, wanted to, to no achieve? Regrets. That's great. I achieved more than I ever could have dreamed. Right. And am I right in thinking you've seen a few other of the contestants since the show? Have they, I think I remember seeing some photos or videos of a couple of them coming down to Brighton. Yes, yeah, so all of them. Freya and Lizzie came down to Brighton. They did a tour uh, of all the bakers. We had a barbecue event with Amanda in London. Um, 
We met, of course, for extra slice filming. And half of us met at the PET Awards. Um, so the, the three finalists, me and Freya and Lizzie were there as well. Um, so it's just nice. It's really wonderful to see them, meet them, friends for life. That's great. And I've heard you say before that one of the reasons you started baking was due to the lack of kind of, or baking bread, I suppose, in England, was due to a, a lack of decent bread in England. Is there, yeah. is there anywhere in Brighton that, you, that has acceptable bread in your eyes? Well, I wouldn't say the lack of decent bread. I would say the lack of German bread. The lack oh, gotcha. of the bread <laughs> I had in my childhood, which is this specific uh, rice, sourdough uh, and wheat mixed bread, which I know that a lot of expats here in Britain uh, crave. I get that feedback on Facebook a lot. And there's a recipe coming soon on Instagram. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of decent bread around in Brighton, really a lot. Open bakeries around the corner here. I love their bread. Um, that's more French style. Raven's Bakery up on Dyke Road is fantastic and it's traditional English bread. Really outstanding stuff. Have you and been you to Raven's to... Bakery? I was going to say, have you been to Raven's Bakery on a day where you've got to queue right around the block? You always queue, I think. <laughs> yeah, Flower Pot, uh, there are so many. So many uh, fantastic bakeries in Brighton. Kind of away from baking, if you can just talk music for a little while. I know whether it's kind of subtle nods to 16th century love songs in your kind of showstoppers or your love for the trombone, which uh, for the people listening, I, I, I mean, there's at least four behind you. Um, is it fair to say that you're a big music lover? Yes, yes. Uh, or nerd, you could call it a nerd. I have different phases, some, some weeks or months. Uh, when I listen... I can listen to Renaissance and then suddenly it switches to something like Bruckner or to some uh, something like Kindermit or 21st century classics. It's, it's a bit eclectic, but uh, usually I have these phases when, when I've got an appetite for a specific kind of music. Do you get to, with your jazz band, do you get to play much in and around Brighton or anywhere for that matter? Uh, we had um, a gig in Pavilion Gardens in summer, I think in July, early July, uh, we had a gig due now in the Round George's pub up the road, but that's cancelled because of, of the current situation. Um, it's a very narrow space and really not safe <laughs> in these circumstances, unfortunately. Do you hope to play kind of in the new year, play more? Well, yes, definitely. Um, I'm sure it will come back. Absolutely. With a big band and my wife has a little group and my son and I are frequent guests there as well. So we'll have something end of, end of January with them and possibly other stuff as well. Yes, yeah. Um, going back to, to baking, do you have any, I mean, it'd be rude not to ask about specifically bread, but baking in general. Do you have any tips or kind of novice or home bakers that you've learned throughout the years, whether it's kind of when you started baking or, or from Bake Off? Well, I would say take a recipe you like, whether it's bread or whether it's cake. Um, take it. Don't start messing with it. Just do it a few times until you feel you know what you're doing and you know what each of the ingredients are meant to, make, to provide to the recipe. And then you can go on from there. I mean, the, the big lightning moment 
with that kind of approach I had when I met Kala from my mother-in-law who was very ill. Uh, she was on chemotherapy, didn't have any appetite, uh, but the only thing she would eat was my hala. So I baked hala every week. My wife took it to London. Um, and over the course of a year, the quality of this hala just changed completely. Same ingredients, same process, seemingly. Uh, after a year, the hala was about twice the size. And I couldn't tell what I did different. My hands learned something. So yes, stick to one recipe you like and do it over and over again. Everything you'll bake after that will improve. Not that you would have done the same scale, or maybe you have, but have you tried kind of a showstopper style bake since being home, or is it kind of more homely, family-sized sort of things? Um, at the moment, it's mostly bread, again. Uh, but I did a birthday cake for, uh, for the son of a friend. He is into Dungeons and Dragons. So I did it uh, in the shape of a Dungeon and Dragon dice, an octahedron. Um, it's on my Instagram, so it's, it's a weird kind of shape to make because, um, well, it, it's not a cube. It's a, it's a dice with eight surfaces. It's two, two uh, square pyramids stuck together, essentially. That sounds tricky. <laughs> <laughs> I must say, I am not a good baker, uh, I must confess. There's always room for improvement. Cooking oh, absolutely. is a thing that's all right. Once you share the, uh, the recipe of the rye sourdough, I'll be sure to give that a try. Good, great. I want to see photos. <laughs> yes. I, I, I will be sure to tweet them to you, although I can't promise anything good. <laughs> Any photos will be fine. <laughs> good, no, that's great. The one thing that Bake Off taught me is to use my experience from cooking in baking as well. So you have to come up with all these recipes and new flavors and stuff. There's something I never really did in the past. Uh, in baking, I've much more followed recipes, but when I was cooking, um, I had an idea about taste and then I just threw together spices and most of the time it works. And um, I could transfer some of that approach into baking. So I now can trust myself to think of a flavor in a cake or in a bread and then achieve that maybe the second go around. Um, and that's quite amazing to to learn that, to be able to do that. Am I right in thinking you studied physics? I did, yes. Is, is there any correlation between, people often say baking is like a bit of an art, but is there any kind of correlation between the sort of the, do you, can you use any of the physics in baking or are you able to freestyle or you said earlier, obviously follow a recipe and, and do it, but is there any, any room for extra? Well, the margin for freestyling in baking is smaller than the margin for freestyling in cooking. Um, in order to make a bread work, you use a base recipe and you can change maybe 10% or 20% of the ingredients and you'll be successful. If you change more than that, um, most likely it will become a mess or dry or uh, something else. Um, but yeah, applying physics, it's, it's probably. Um, more intuitive how I, apply, how I apply physics to baking. I've got a couple of books about the science of baking and some of them use, uh, you explain, explain a few things in terms of physics, which is very interesting. For example, every oven has hot spots because the walls radiate. 
and the walls will radiate in different ways depending on how these walls are shaped. So if you have notches and stuff, it will create different heat patterns within the oven. And just knowing that will keep you from burning the biscuits in certain places. Um, so there's some applied physics. I was going to say, was there ever a point when, when you were studying physics that you thought, oh, I'll be the star of a, a baking show in England one day? Um, there was never a point in my life up to maybe one and a half years ago when I started to get convinced I have to apply. <laughs> you'd, you'd never kind of applied before or, or anything before this one? I have oh, really? applied one, but my heart wasn't in it. Was it a polite no, or did you just not hear from them? I didn't hear from them. Uh, it's possible that my email arrived actually after the cut-off time. Well, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who are very grateful that they did. You applied in time this time. Yeah, yeah. I, I applied, I think, on the second day the application was open and then received the call uh, pretty much the next working day. Now, for the final part of kind of each episode, we're going to be asking each guest their favourite kind of things, places, shops, etc. in Sussex in a segment that we're calling sort of five of the best, um, if that's all right. Yeah, of course. Great. Um, the first one's kind of quite a fitting topic of food. It's if you, well, very fitting for you, actually. If you were going for a coffee and a cake with a friend from out of town, where would you take them in Sussex? Julien Plumard. There's no question about that. And why is that? His pastry is so fantastic. His macaroons, really amazing stuff. It's just top quality. And there are so many places in Brighton who have really, really good food. And I happen to know the food of Julien Plumal from before he was on TV. My wife was one of his first customers and we are fans ever since. Is he now a fan of yours? Um, I think so. I haven't had time to meet him, but there's an invitation. Um, the, the second question is, what is the best shop in Sussex for you? That's terrible because Brighton is such a huge shopping centre with uh, a huge number of small shops where you can spend hours and hours and hours. Um, I suppose Infinity Foods, I could spend just hours in there looking at um, different greens and sweets and spices and, and their food. Just such, such an amazing mix of natural produce. That's a good choice. Another kind of somewhat fitting topic for, for you, whether it be kind of for a concert or comedy or theatre, what's the best venue around? Well, the funny thing is that I haven't had much time to go to concerts and theatres over time, um, commuting most of the time and then family. But I really like uh, St. George's Church just around the corner here, as again, Camp Town. Um, it has a wonderful acoustic. I heard a few concerts uh, with Brighton Early Music um, Festival in there, and it's really lovely. If you're looking to escape the city, is there a favourite outdoors place you'd like to visit? Uh, Devil's Dyke, maybe. We love going there. We love walking up through the dike and then the steep wall at the end. Um, it's, <laughs> and it seems every time we go there, it's quite foggy and wet. So... You, you feel isolated, you feel like an Bali on the moon. I love that. Uh, and lastly, whether it be kind of for a drink or a sit-down meal, uh, is there, what's, your, what's the best sort of bar, pub, restaurant in, in Sussex? Again, there are so many, but one that has a special meaning for us is Terra Terre. We were taken there for the first time after our wedding. And uh, since then, we go back regularly. Are you a fan of vegetarian food? Mm, I'm a fan of good food. 
Good answer. <laughs> Good answer. And, and lastly, Jürgen, just kind of looking ahead, what's what's next for you? I, I think you're still working, if that's right, but what can we expect from you in 2022? Well, still working. I'm working in my day job and I'm, I'm keen to keep it up. I love that company and I've got quite a few responsibilities there and um, they're a wonderful company and they have my, my support for the future, <laughs> definitely. Um, as they supported me in Bake Off. But I'm thinking about a book. Uh, I've got interest for more TV work, food demonstrations. The next year will be a year of trying out what suits me going forward. Very exciting. In terms of a, in terms of a book, would that be more of a cookbook or an autobiography or that you know, kind of thing? It will be a book about food I love to. I love the food that made me cook and bake in England. So. Um, it will be very personal, I would say. That's the idea. It can change, but that's what I'm working on. Brilliant. That's all from, from me. That's all I've got. we've got time for, Jürgen. But thank you so much for coming on. And uh, like I said, thank you for being the first ever guest on the Argus podcast. Mm, you're welcome. Good luck with the podcast and those photos once you get the bread ready. <laughs> <laughs> I can't promise anything. <laughs> and that's that. What a lovely, heartwarming first guest. Be sure to keep an eye out for our next episode, where I'll be speaking with Olympic archer Bryony Pittman about her time at the Tokyo Olympics. But until then, if you know somebody from Sussex who you think has an interesting story to tell, then let us know. You can tweet us your guest suggestions at Brighton Argus on Twitter, or directly to me at Chris underscore Fuller 11, and use the hashtag The Argus Podcast. And make sure to keep up to date with all the latest news from around Sussex on our website, theargus.co.uk. Until next time...